Schlepping Up to Boston is written and produced by Boston Latin School senior Lev Sugarman Rosan. Production of this podcast is made possible by the Senior Capstone Research Program at Boston Latin School, supported by Sydney and Deanna Wolk and their family. Food has always been a substantial part of Jewish culture. To this day, my mother calls matzo ball soup Jewish penicillin and has made it every time I so much as sniffle. Most Jewish holidays consist of, they tried to kill us, we survived, now let's eat. Food brings Jewish people together in a way that is understood by many cultures. The Jewish delis, bakeries, and butcheries that populated most of Boston's Jewish neighborhoods were not just excellent places to buy food, but also gathering places for the Jewish people in the town. The most famous of these was G&G Delicatessen on Blue Hill Avenue. If asked, most Jewish people who lived in Boston during its reign will tell you that it can hardly be rivaled by any of the delis that are found near Boston today. Jewish food is usually divided into three subcategories based on the places where Jews lived. One of these is Sephardic cuisine, eaten by Jews of the Mediterranean, North Africa, the Middle East, the Red Sea region, and India. Most of these places were, or still are, part of the Islamic world, and the cuisine reflects this. The dishes include strong aromas and spices that were available in these regions, as well as fruits and vegetables, which were also plentiful. Salads and other kinds of stuffed vegetables were emphasized, and fruits were present in almost all dishes. One of the most popular dishes of Sephardic Jewish cuisine are stuffed grape leaves. Another distinct subcategory of Jewish cuisine is Ashkenazic Jewish food, eaten by Jews from Europe and Russia. This was overwhelmingly the cuisine that was eaten by Boston Jews. Most of the Jewish immigrants who arrived in Boston came from Europe or Russia. The classic foods that most Americans identify as being Jewish are Ashkenazic dishes. Most Jews who lived in these places experienced some degree of poverty, and their food reflects this. The most popular dishes include deli foods such as thick meat sandwiches like corned beef rubens, bagels, knishes, and borscht. One particularly interesting dish that is certainly an acquired taste is gefilte fish. Oftentimes, Ashkenazic Jews would receive the scraps of the fish, the tail and eyes, and other undesired parts. In order to make it taste half-decent, they would ball up sometimes as many as seven or eight different kinds of fish into one lump and boil it. This was the origin of gefilte fish. Today, it's made in a little bit more appetizing fashion, but it still takes a strong stomach. The third type of Jewish cuisine, which is newer to the table, is Israeli cuisine. Many experts believed that Israel does not yet have its own national cuisine, as most of the foods that are considered Israeli are, in reality, Mediterranean cuisine. Nevertheless, a seemingly distinct Israeli cuisine has at least somewhat developed, including foods like hummus, falafel, Israeli salad, and pita bread. Pomegranates are especially popular in Israel. Throughout the interviews that I did for this project, some of my interviewees' fondest memories are something associated with food. They associate it with treasured memories and recall it being an integral part of how they came together with their family and friends. Many of them have reminisced about how the food during their childhood could not be rivaled and that the guys who do it today haven't got a clue what they're doing. And some of them, such as my grandfather, recall some interesting things about the way their food was prepared. I remember um, things like uh, on Fridays, 
I would walk up the corner of Hitchborn Street and Shirley Avenue, mm -hmm. and there was a um, slaughterhouse, but it was for chickens, chickens and turkeys. Huh. And we would walk in, and she used to buy eggs there too. We would walk in, and she would uh, walk up to the uh, person in charge that day, you know, and they would say, can I help you, Fanny? And she said, yeah, I want to get a chicken, and I like that one right there. And she pointed the chicken, they would take the chicken by the neck, and they'd bring it back, and they'd break its neck, they'd kill it, they'd take all the feathers off, cut it up, give it to her in a package, and we come home and she make chicken soup. Wow. And it was, I mean, you couldn't get any fresher than that. And that was, was just in middle of Roxbury and Boston? No, this was in, this oh, was in Revere. Revere. This is right, okay. Revere, yeah, it's Revere, uh, right in Revere. And um, she would make chicken soup and uh, she'd have the feet, she had all the parts, and it was great chicken soup. And it was fresh, <laughs> it was awesome. Well, my grandfather's story about the way he got his chicken might seem unfathomable to a teenager living in Revere today. It was actually quite common during his time. Food seemed to be one of the things about which Jewish people were almost entirely in agreement. Yes, the food varied from region to region. One town loved this deli, another town adored that one. Meals in Orthodox families might have looked different from those in Reform families, but it was something that brought Jewish people together almost without conflict. People were unapologetically passionate about what they ate, where they ate it, and who they ate it with. In fact, in the early 20th century, there were literal riots in the streets, started by Jewish women who believed that the price of kosher meat was too high. Ask any Jewish person about their favorite food, and they will almost certainly tell you about one place, the deli. Deli. The deli stuff. My father used to drive over, either drive to um, Shears Deli in, in Malden, or he would drive over the Chelsea. I think it was Sam's Deli was mm -hmm. the big one. And he would get corned beef and rolled beef and tongue and all the... He, you know, salami and all yeah. that, and he would bring it home with potato salad and coleslaw, and that would be a, a Sunday feast for us. Uh -huh. Yeah, we would love that. We'd have it for a few days. Um, if he knew company was coming, he would do that. Okay. Schwartz's Delicatessen, right across the street. We're in one corner, Schwartz's is over here. And they had, you know, you can go in there for lunch, have corned beef sandwiches, chicken soup with matzo balls. It was a real kosher delicatessen, yeah, yeah. similar to what you'd find in, in on the east side of New York now, mm -hmm. if you can find one, you know, yep. besides Katz's. Yep. Um, and uh, they weren't the only one, there were others, but they were the most popular. And then you hit um, uh, Walnut Street, and wa just before Walnut Street, on the right-hand side, there was um, Kosher Butcher, I think it was Marlin Sons, and then there was a bakery, Harry's. And uh, across the street was Michelson's Pharmacy, and Shirley Drug was uh, uh, right across from them. So it was like Michelson's here, Shirley Drug here, uh, and then across from uh, Shirley Drug on the other corner was a bakery. I only knew it as Swickleberg's. It may have been something else, but okay. they were competing bakeries, uh, Swickleberg's and Harry's. Which one was better? 
I like Swickelbrooks better, okay. although my uncle worked for Harry's. Oh, no. I'll tell you about that. <laughs> so um, we also across the street from uh, Swickelbrooks was uh, Arthur's Creamery, and that's where we shopped. There were no supermarkets per yeah, se. It was like little stores. Yeah, it was, yeah. They, it was yeah. a... A good size store, maybe the size of uh, what you see a CVS as now, yeah, sure, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, he had fruits and vegetables and something. And uh, my mother would go in there uh, once a week, and she would, or she would call, but she would go in there maybe once or twice a week. Other times she'd call, and she would order what she she pick out what she wanted. So she'd go to the fruit aisle, and she'd get you know six grapefruit apples whatever it might be celery uh you know anything she wanted and then she would go to the you know produce the other aisles pick out what she wanted they would box everything up for her and they would deliver it the next day oh wow they okay. would bring it to our house um sometimes she just called on the phone and she would say she would speak to whoever was work, working there was arthur and i can't think of the other guy's name but he was like the second in command and she would give him her order you know i need uh i need a you know a bag of potatoes i okay. need uh i need some broccoli i need uh i need a couple of pounds of you know so many pounds of hamburger i need you know whatever but she bought she didn't buy hamburger there she bought hamburger at the jew at the, the Jewish butchers yeah butchers yeah, yeah. anything that was uh, meat related all was bought there and that was right? all kosher meat right? all kosher meat yep. that's what we ate that's all we did at the time yeah more than just a place to buy meat and challah the deli served as a gathering place for Jewish people in a given town or neighborhood in Boston. Jewish people would go in, grab a sandwich or a fresh knish, catch up on the news, and have a conversation with whatever friend happened to be in the deli that day. There were sometimes intense rivalries between delis or bakeries, in which no Jewish person seemed to be neutral. Were the, um, were, were the delis and the bakeries, were those like, would you say, were they like social gathering places? Like, yes. Would you know everybody yes. who walked in there? Yes. Yes, you was there was social. Crime. In fact, um, corned beef, you know, pastrami. You you go yeah. in and buy um, a pound of corned beef and a pound of pastrami, and you didn't have to take out a loan to get it. And uh, <laughs> you'd have, you know, you make sandwiches and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Uh, and the bakeries were, you go in the bakeries and you know, uh, you would you would you know buy a, a challah, a loaf of bread, some rolls. You'd buy um, <coughs> those half and halves, some Ruggle frozen dough. You know, all kinds of yep. pastries and stuff like that. Uh, that was great stuff. Yeah. That was really good. Food also seemed to be one of the factors that brought different cultures together. It was often one concrete thing that people had in common. They exchanged recipes, showed each other new cooking techniques, and made each other some of their cultural foods. My great-grandmother learned how to make Italian food when she was living in the Veterans Housing Projects in Revere. But we had a neighbor uh, in the in the veterans project. We were in a one, two, three, four, four unit, four townhouses yeah. together. Okay. So we lived in this end. Um, uh, the Marcuses lived next to us. They were a group that were you know, they were amazing. They were so annoying. They were typical, <laughs> you know, when somebody say, those Jews. They epitomized they that. that. They okay. were them. Yeah. And then next door to them were the Cristianos. Uh -huh. And the Cristianos, Michael and um, Michael and Elena, uh, were the ones that taught Nana how to make Italian food.
I sat down with Professor Saul Gittelman, a professor of Yiddish literature, or as many students call it, Yidlit, at Tufts University. He talked to me about how food played an incredibly important role in the formation of some of his best memories. You know, uh, we ate like crazy. <laughs> and my mother cooked and uh, it played a major role. It still plays a major role. In my... Last night I had deep fried chicken livers for dinner because uh, they, they put it on the menu here. That's uh, It's wonderful. So, you know, we, we my, every phase of my life, food was a major part of it. And, and uh, ethnic cooking, uh, whether it was my close Armenian friends uh, or whatever we ate. I love Italian food. I love just about everything. But yeah. certainly ethnic, my mother's cooking and whatever else uh, comes out of that is still a major part of, of my memory. It's just memory. I have to agree with Professor Gittleman. Food has played an enormous role in my memory as well. I remember coming in from snow days to a steaming hot bowl of matzo ball soup and a thick slice of babka. My dad used to make homemade challah every Friday night and would use the leftovers to make French toast in the morning. Jewish mothers seem to think that any problem can be solved by food. I remember coming home one day in freshman year and telling my mom I'd gotten a C on my math test, the first one I had ever gotten since entering Boston Latin School. You know what she did? She made a batch of matzo ball soup. But you know, there are worse things. Production of Schlepping Up to Boston is made possible by the Senior Capstone Research Program at Boston Latin School, supported by Sydney and Deanna Wolk and their family. Special thanks to interviewees and contributors Steve, Allen, and Carol Sugarman, Professor Jonathan Sarna, Jeremy Burton, Professor Saul Gittleman, Rabbi Toba Spitzer, Ms. Judy Freeman, Jeff Michaelitis, and Ms. Alyssa Frank. Mm-hmm.